You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. It is good to be with you all today, and it is good to spend time in prayer. I know it's strange to do it through video, but it's good to spend time together in prayer and good to spend time together in worship and listening to scripture. And there's a reason we keep doing this. And it's not just that we think that it's an important habit. It's because we actually think that God moves um, in mysterious and wonderful ways, that God's spirit is not limited by the fact that we're all online right now. Uh, that worship isn't something that's impossible unless you're in a physical building surrounded by other people and listen to instruments. Worship's a posture of our heart, that prayer is something that can happen even through screens, and that listening to scripture together is something that's always fruitful, because God's word always brings something into our lives. It it's never, uh, never returns void, the scripture says. So, would you join me in a Bible? We're continuing our series called Finding God in the Storm. We're going to be in Matthew 8 today, coming back to Matthew. Matthew 8, 18. Matthew 8, 18. Now, when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A scribe then approached and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So over the years, I've discovered uh, that I don't know very much about being married. My wife knows even less than I do. And that would be a good example, actually, of how I don't know very much about marriage. Beyond just saying stupid things sometimes, I, I actually have kind of discovered this, not just by being married, but by walking alongside people in marriages, and friends and family, but also as a pastor. You're with folks who are thinking about getting divorced. You're with folks who just got divorced. People who are thinking about getting married. People who've been married for a while, and it's good or it's hard. And as time's gone on, I've just slowly learned this crazy deep humility that I just genuinely don't know who's doing well and who's not doing well and it's just not predictable by me maybe by somebody else because I've known people who dated for five or six years and then get married and the first couple of years are really hard and they should know each other well it's confusing and I've known folks who have been married for many years and it was really easy the first few but then suddenly somewhere in the middle it, it just it gets really hard and really painful and I've also known folks who meet and date and get married and have miscarriages and have kids 
all in one year and it's easy somehow. And you think, man, you've had some real highs and lows and you barely knew each other. How is this going that well? And near as I can tell, there are just some folks somewhere along the way who really are all in on marriage. And I think that maybe is the difference. And I'm not 100% sure really how to, how to measure that or even what that looks like. I just know that, that I've seen it. Um, and I hope that it's true uh, for my wife and I over the years. The people in this story are struggling with being all in. They know that they want to follow Jesus. They're just not necessarily following Jesus. At the very beginning, in verse 18, we hear about the great crowd that was around Jesus. And it's when Jesus sees the great crowd, that's when he decides to leave. Which is counterintuitive for us. Because, you know, the great crowd is the goal in our time. I mean, if you can get enough Twitter followers, if you can get enough likes on Instagram, if you can be an influencer, that's when you've arrived. And it's right when Jesus starts to be surrounded by large numbers of people that he decides to leave. Why is Jesus giving this up? Isn't, isn't this what it's all about? But for Jesus, that's not what it's all about. It's about discipleship. He leaves so that people can follow. And he starts giving orders. Let's get in the boat. We're going to go across to the other side. And as people start getting into the boat, all of a sudden a guy shouts out, Teacher, I'll go with you wherever you go. Which sounds pretty good, honestly. And so it's surprising that Jesus seems to kind of push back on that. I mean, I'm not going anywhere in particular, he says. You may want to consider following a fox or a bird. Wild animals offer more security than I am. That's not what discipleship is going to get you. And it sounds at first like this guy is reasonable, but then the more you start to think about what's happening and kind of how he's speaking, it's almost like he's overconfident. Like he's committing and and talking a big game, but not necessarily doing it, because the key really is to just get in the boat. We don't have to talk about it. We just have to follow. This guy seems to think that Jesus is sort of a rising star, and he's sort of offering himself as this great gift to Jesus. You know, you're going places, sir, and I can see that this organization's on the move. I really want to be a part of the kingdom, and I think I bring a lot to the table. I've got a lot of skills, a lot of wisdom, a lot. I think I can really help you get where you're trying to go. You don't have a scribe in the group. I could be the scribe. I could, I could bring my mind and my wisdom in the process. The guy calls Jesus teacher, which in the Gospel of Matthew is a nice thing to call Jesus. It means you respect Jesus but it doesn't mean that you follow him. In Matthew's gospel, people who call Jesus teacher are not disciples. They're people who respect Jesus and who want to listen to him, but who don't really want to commit to what he has to say. The difference between us, the man seems to say, is that you're a teacher and that I'm not, that you know more than me, and and I just, if I learn enough and if I follow long enough, then maybe I could be the teacher at some point. And Jesus, in his response, calls himself the son of man which is a scribe, this guy would recognize that phrase as an epic Old Testament term. Something that's in Daniel and Ezekiel, this man who's truly human and yet God's man in mysterious and powerful, dangerous ways. There's a lot more between us, Jesus seems to say, than you seem to recognize. I'm looking for disciples. It's time to follow. It's not to talk about it, but to actually follow Jesus. The second guy, we might call him the underconfident. He says, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Lord is a good word. In the Gospel of Matthew, the only people who call Jesus Lord are disciples. 
The only people who call Jesus Lord are disciples. In his vocabulary, if you say Lord, you really do follow Jesus. But Jesus responds to this guy with this really intense kind of challenge. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Okay. <laughs> ah, well, very uncomfortable. I can't ever imagine saying anything like that to anyone who's interested in following Jesus. That's, man, I mean, of course, you know, bury your father. What's How long is that going to take? 12, 24 hours? I mean, it, yeah, that, see, of course, take all the time that you need. That's what we expect Jesus to say. Because, you know, religion is one of those things that's around for people who need comfort. And if you're having a really hard time, that's exactly why Jesus exists. You know, he's the guy in the old church pictures holding the sheep all the time. He's a really nice, gentle person. He would never challenge you in a really difficult season in life. This isn't really a discipleship moment, and Jesus recognizes that. No. Jesus chooses exactly this moment to push really hard on this guy. What exactly do you mean when you call me Lord? Lord, first, I have other things to do. That's not how lordship works. Lord, first, this is more important to me. That's not how that works. Notice that the guy doesn't actually say, I will follow you. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. That's all he says. You would expect, and then I will follow you. Or, Lord, I would follow you, but first let me. It's Jesus who tells him to follow. The guy seems to have forgotten that discipleship is about following Jesus. And just in case you're overly concerned that maybe this is like a funeral day and Jesus is just being really mean, you should know there's a, a Middle Eastern kind of commentator, a guy named Kenneth Bailey, wrote a book called Through Peasant Eyes. This is an actual expression in the Middle East to this day. It doesn't mean my dad just died, I want to go to the funeral. If that were true, the guy would already be at the funeral. That's just sort of how funerals work in this culture. No, what this means is something more along the lines of, my dad's really old, my mom's really old, and it's sort of time for me to sort of take my place in the family business and take my place in the family and just sort of take over for them. So it's, let me continue to do this, and then when my father's that, that's that's when I'm in. When my father finally finally dies and, and goes into the ground, then when things settle down, you know, when, I, when I'm not so busy, then I can follow Jesus. That, that's when I'll be a disciple. When, it, when finally, you know, when, when I've got all my ducks in a row and I've checked all the boxes, and Jesus says, yeah, start now. Let the dead bury their own dead. A really intense thing to say from Jesus. But those who don't follow Jesus might as well be dead. It seems to be what he's implying. And then in verse 23, and I'm just going to direct you back to your Bibles, there's this verse that wouldn't strike you as important. It looks like the beginning of a story. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. But that's not the beginning of this story. That's the key point of this story. When Jesus goes, they follow. Disciples follow. That's what disciples do. Disciples follow Jesus. If you hear nothing else today, disciples follow. Many years ago, I was bored and thought I would uh, go to a really intense Bible study, but I didn't know any people who were running Bible studies, and there was a seminary near my house. And so I started going to a seminary class. I wasn't in seminary. I explicitly did not want to be in ministry, and I didn't want to be a pastor. Look how that worked out for me. I did not want that. I just wanted to go to one class, and I thought, I'll take a Gospels class. I know a lot about the Gospels. 
I've pretty much, I got that stuff nailed. So it'll be a good kind of like shallow end of the pool. Turns out I don't know very much about the Gospels. Uh, I've been reading them now for many years, and I'm learning all the time more about Jesus. I do not have them figured it out. And I was taking this class on the Gospels, and my assignment for the class was to write papers on this passage of Scripture. So this story, I had to write many 10-page papers. And I thought, that's impossible. How could you write more than one 10-page paper on five, six verses? I mean, I'd have said it all in the first paper, maybe two, right? And what happened was, I started writing these papers, and I was taking this class, while my life slowly and steadily started to fall apart. Little by little, but it slowly and steadily fell, fell apart. My, my emotional life, and my professional life, and my financial life, and uh, a serious romantic relationship I was in, and my family life, and really just the world came crashing down around me. And all the while, I had to write papers on this passage of Scripture. The, the sense of humor of God, maybe, in this season of my life, was that even as everything was going horribly in my life, I kept looking for new details and new meaning in this story so that I could write even more about what it is that Jesus is trying to say here, what it is that's really going on in this story. And it slowly and steadily formed me and the way that I think about discipleship, and even the way that I think about storms that come in people's lives. The disciples follow Jesus. I wonder about the first two guys. I wonder if they get in the boat or not. It doesn't say that they do. It doesn't say that they don't. Verse 21 actually says, and another of his disciples, which implies that the first guy was a disciple and the second guy was also a disciple. But we know from the story that disciples follow Jesus. So there's a decent chance that these first two guys get in the boat and their first experience of discipleship is this storm. Like, what's it really like to follow Jesus? Get in the boat and you'll see. And boom, a storm hits the lake. A windstorm, it said in my translation, but in Greek the word is seismos. Like, uh, it's the where we get the Greek, the Greek word is where we get the word seismic from, so earthquake. Uh, it would be a bit like uh, Matthew saying that if, if, our, if our boat was one of those ships in a bottle, and somebody just started shaking it, that's what it felt like. Like the world was ending, like everything was crap, like it was a supernatural storm. And the way he tells it, there's no ramp up into the storm. It's just all of a sudden the storm's at a 10. Maximum storm, impossible. It's going to destroy us. The waves are in the boat. The boat is sinking. But we can probably imagine that the storm ramped up a little bit. That at first it was just sort of choppy water. But these guys are fishing. They, they know the water. They know boats. My dad was a fisherman. My father's father was a fisherman. My father's father's father. We've seen storms before. I've got this. And the rain starts to pick up and the wind is blowing. And they're thinking, man, this is going to be a storm. It's a good thing Jesus has me in the boat. I know a lot about storms. Jesus is the landlubber, right? These guys are the sailors. It's the one area where they know more than Jesus does. Boats. We've got this. He may know a lot about the kingdom of God and ministry and all that stuff. But we know boats and we know storms. And the waves are really starting to roll now, and they're getting bigger and bigger, and the boat is being flung up into the air. And somewhere along the way, these guys start to realize this is a storm unlike any they've ever faced before. That they're not in control, that maybe they were never in control of this storm, it just wasn't that bad yet. And suddenly they begin to fear for their lives, and they go running, looking for Jesus. And that's the moment we hear that Jesus is asleep. Jesus is asleep. 
in a world-ending storm that is terrifying experienced sailors. He's just sawing logs. Now that tells us a couple things about Jesus. One, he's tired, which I think is kind of obvious. But still, that Jesus is truly a human being asleep in this crazy storm tells us that he's, well, like us. Sometimes you just got to sleep. Jesus is asleep. He's tired. Second thing, Jesus is absolutely confident in the power of God. Absolutely confident in the power of God. And we know this because this is not a large boat. It's 27 feet long by about 7 or 8 feet wide by 4 feet deep. It's not a cruise ship. We found boats exactly like this in 1986 from the time of Jesus in the Sea of Galilee. You can go online, you can find them. They are not big boats. People fighting a storm would be tripping over Jesus in this boat. He would hear them screaming for their lives. There isn't a, a lower deck and an upper deck. This is a small fishing boat. And Jesus is asleep. And they come and they find him and they wake him up. And they say, Lord, save us, we're dying. Literally in Greek it's three words. Lord, save, dying. Spectacular prayer. It gets right to the point. It's exactly what disciples should do. Maybe what they should have done at the beginning. Go looking for Jesus and tell him that they need help. Because the thing about discipleship is nobody's really figured it out. And that's why we're still following. We never graduate out of being disciples of Jesus. We are always following Jesus. Uh, Rembrandt, the Dutch artist, many years ago painted this scene. And I've always liked it. He's just a master of light and shadow. But you see the boat, and you see actually that not everyone is with Jesus, which I think is a really clever way of painting the story. It didn't occur to me, but maybe not all the disciples are with Jesus. One of them is still desperately trying to hold on to the rigging and, and get the sails to work the way that they're supposed to. He's still trying to control the storm. One of them looks like he's about to be swept overboard. He's not thinking about Jesus. He's desperately trying to stay in the boat. There's a guy down here who looks like he's losing his lunch which I think is great in a 16th century painting, that you painted a guy just losing it. Because this is a crazy storm. And then here's Jesus lit by an otherworldly light and people crowding around him, and Jesus still hasn't stood up. As this guy is desperate to steer, but also kind of looking at Jesus, Jesus isn't really taking the situation that seriously, it seems like. In fact, what happens in the story is Jesus, still lying down, opens his eyes, and kind of sleepily says, why are you guys so scared? Little faiths. And then he stands up. It's in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the storm that Jesus decides now is a good time to talk about discipleship. Now I've got your attention. Now you're paying attention. Let's talk about why you're so scared right now. And you can imagine the disciples with the wind and the waves and everything crashing down around them going, Jesus, this is not the time. What? This is exactly the time, Jesus would say. Because you're following me. Now the phrase little faiths is one that sounds kind of harsh in English. It's not actually that harsh. It's one word in Greek, oligopistois. And it's Jesus' favorite nickname for the disciples in Matthew. All over the place, he calls them this. If you've ever had a friend who uses the word idiot affectionately, like, oh, he's such an idiot, I love that guy. That's exactly what Jesus does with the disciples all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> you idiots. Let me save you. Immediately. It's not, I don't like them. It's, I love them. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm teasing them all the time in the process. Because they have little faith, and we might say, oh man, I need more faith. Maybe that's the problem. Little faith is, well, like a mustard seed, Jesus will say elsewhere. Plenty to do big things in the world. It doesn't take much faith, because the truth is, it's not really about them or their faith. It's about Jesus. Disciples follow. Jesus saves. Our job is to follow. Jesus' job is to save. We cry out to Jesus. We say, Lord, we don't know what we're doing. You know, for a while I've been at the front of the boat. I've been trying to hold on to the rigging. You know, I was being swept over. Suddenly I remembered you're with us. I probably should have talked to you before now. Lord, save us. We're dying. And Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves. And they stop. That's it. It takes him no effort to completely calm the storm. And the disciples are there with water dripping off their noses, the ringing in their ears of the lightning and the thunder that's suddenly gone. And it says in verse 27 that these, these human beings look at one another and they're saying, well, what, kind, what kind of human being is this? That the, that the wind and the sea obey him? Which is how many of the gospel stories end. It kind of inviting you and me into asking the question, what, what does it really mean? that Jesus can do, who is Jesus that he can do things like this? Dale Bruner, the commentator, says the incarnation is on full display in this story. Jesus, the human being who sleeps in the storm, is also the guy who tells the storm to stop, and it does. God in the flesh. That's absolutely what we see in Jesus. And the wind and the sea obey him. They understand that this is God and that they follow and Jesus, well, really has all of creation as a disciple. And the disciples themselves are seeing, well, that, that's really what it, what it means to call Jesus Lord. That we follow the same way that wind and sea do. And so while there are people who undoubtedly chose not to get in the boat, and maybe they missed out on the storm, they also missed out on something miraculous, what God did in the midst of the storm, how they found God in the midst of the storm. So I wonder about those two guys, whether they got in the boat, the overconfident and the underconfident, the guy who's not sure he's willing to commit, the guy who's so sure he's willing to commit. What it was like to be in the storm and to really see what it, what it feels like to follow Jesus in really rough water and also see him come through. See that while it might be dangerous to be with Jesus, it's much more dangerous to be without him. He's the God who can save us. He does save us. It's in the name. Jesus, Yeshua. It will save his people from their sins. Now, I know this has been a really stormy season for some of us, and I think at first a few of us were probably overconfident. We were probably looking at the whole situation like, this is going to be gone in a couple of weeks, a couple of days. It's kind of overblown. And for some of us, we've been really under, just afraid from the beginning. And the situation just keeps getting worse, which isn't good for those of us who are really anxious and afraid, and it's really not good for those of us who are overconfident. And we find maybe in the midst of this really stormy season is as well, governments stay shut down as supply lines collapse, as the economy seems to be falling apart. 20 million jobs we heard about on Friday. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us are just going through really difficult things with our investments. Some of us aren't really sure what it, what it looks like to, to have children and raise children in a world full of diseases and sickness. We find ourselves sort of surrounded by storms, and those are just, you know, the ones that everyone's dealing with. There's also the other stuff, like feeling distant from your children and not really sure what to do with your family or well, struggling with the job that you still have and kind of how you're interacting with your employers. and Well, there's lots of storms around us all the time. 
And it may feel like things are crashing down around you, or it might feel like this is something you've got under control, you know? And, and I'll turn to Jesus when it gets really bad. But I think in this season, it, it might be time to try finding God. Because maybe he's closer than you think, and maybe actually he has all the resources at his disposal to save. Because we're people who've chosen to be disciples of Jesus Christ, and disciples follow. Disciples follow Jesus. And Jesus saves. The Bible promises us this. There's story after story of this. And I invite you to follow me. As we follow Jesus. Would you pray with me?